Chapter 9. I ticked off bird kids on my fingers. Gazzy has science club today. If he blows something up, I will personally take a belt to him. Nudge is walking home, unwilling to be seen with any of us. And Iggy has soccer. I saw him on the field yesterday, said Dylan. He looked great. He's always been good at it, I said. Somehow, Iggy's blindness had forced all of his other senses to overcompensate. His navigational skills and coordination were sometimes even superior to the rest of the flocks. So, can we fly home, or do we have to be normal some more? Oh, I have something better planned, sugar drop, Dylan said with a twinkle in his eyes as he led me to the school's parking lot. Call me that again, and I will flay you alive, I promised, but followed him to a large red motorcycle. What's this? I'm borrowing it, Dylan said, swinging one leg over the saddle. He patted the seat behind him. Hop on. I had been raised unburdened by the concept of other people's property. So I hopped on. Dylan kicked the motorcycle into gear, and we went off. I don't know if you've ever been on a motorcycle. If your parents don't know, please do not nod now. But I must say, if I didn't have wings and motorcycles weren't, essentially, extremely cool death traps, I would want to ride on one all the time. It's about the closest approximation to flying there is. The wind whipping through your hair, the sense of freedom, the bug slamming to your face... It's flying, but on the ground, burning gasoline, and making a lot of noise. What's not to love? We didn't go straight home. I put my arms around Dylan's waist, leaned my head against his back, and closed my eyes. He felt warm and solid. I didn't have to do anything, for once. I just sat there. It was almost scary, because I wasn't totally in control of the situation. I felt the motorcycle slow, and then come to a rolling stop. Reluctantly, I opened my eyes. Where are we? I asked. Dylan climbed off the motorcycle and held it steady while I got off. He moved his hand at the view, with the rocky cliffs on one side and the Oregon coast in front of us. The ocean looked gray-blue and choppy, and the air temperature had dropped about 15 degrees. Seagulls wheeled above the waves, calling, and I wanted to join them. I moved to the railing, ready to jump off. Max, wait. Suddenly, Dylan's dazzling smile was nowhere in sight. His face was solemn, his eyes a darker shade of teal. For a second, I thought he'd spotted some kind of trouble far in the distance, across the cliffs. You could say that Dylan didn't just have the eyesight of a hawk. He had the eyes of the Hubble Space Telescope. His gift for seeing faraway things, especially in space, was a little mutant DNA bonus from the mad scientist-slash-genetic engineer who created him. I found this place the other day, when I was out flying, he said shifting to a less guarded, more emotional tone. I feel closer to the clouds here, more than anywhere else. I wanted to share it with you because I feel closer to... to Angel here, too. My eyes flew to his face, my mouth partly open in shock. Angel, the youngest member of our flock. My littlest bird. I was assaulted with memories. 
Angel smiling sweetly at Total, her pale blonde curls making a halo of fluff around her head. The depth in Angel's eyes when we witnessed disaster. Way more knowing than any seven-year-old should be. The way she'd get into my head. Under my skin. Inside my heart. Always. And then... Angel disappearing in a cloud of smoke. I grimaced, thinking of Paris and the explosion. We do not talk about that. I reminded him tightly. He gave a sad smile and gestured out at the vast ocean, the craggy cliffs behind us. No one was around. It was just me and Dylan, water and rock and sky, and my bleeding, ripped-open heart. You can't pretend she was never born, he said as I narrowed my eyes and pulled up my trusty standby. Rage. I opened my mouth to snap at him, but he continued gently, saying, You can't pretend she never died. I actually gasped, drawn away from him in shock, feeling a sharp pain in my chest, as if he'd plunged a dagger into me. It'll be okay, Angel had said the last time I saw her. I'll be with you, always. But it wasn't okay. She wasn't with us. She would never be again. Shut up! I croaked. Dylan put his hand on my shoulder, holding me as I tried to spin away. He pulled me to him firmly, cradling me against his hard chest, one hand on the back of my neck, the other on my back. We all miss her, Max, he whispered against my hair. We'll always miss her. And that was it. A horrible, keening sound filled my ears, and it took me several seconds to realize it was coming from me. Then I was clutching Dylan's shirt, pressing my face against him, sobbing uncontrollably. He held me tightly, his cheek against my hair, stroking my back and whispering, I know, I know. Let it out, Max. There's no one here but me and you. Just let it all out. I almost never cry. I keep my emotions on a super tight leash. They don't normally just burst out of me like that, but once they did, I sobbed and sobbed until my throat was raw and Dylan's shirt was wet from my tears. My baby was gone. After everything we'd been through, after love and betrayal and fury and love and forgiveness, she was gone. Forever. She'd sacrificed herself to save thousands, and she would never, ever be back. And I hadn't let myself believe that, until now. Chapter 10 I drew in shuddering breaths, my sobs subsiding. I had needed to grieve over Angel. And I had a lot of other things to grieve about, too. I had been abandoned by my mother, my half-sister, my pseudo-father, and the boy I thought was my soulmate. And so, after all this time, I wailed my guts out. In a really loud, out-of-control, sloppy, wet way. All over Dylan. I pulled away from him awkwardly. I was thirsty and empty and feeling hollow and imagining the possible humiliation resulting from the resulting scene I had just made was vomit-inducing. Remember that time you bawled like a baby? Dylan would say for years to come. That was hysterical. I just wanted to collapse on my bed with the covers over my head. Forever. But Dylan was still looking at my puffy face. Remember how Angel saved that little kid from the hotel fire? He asked, his eyes shining. I did. I could still picture her smile shining victoriously out of her dirty face. The boy clutched in her arms, her wings gray with smoke. Angel, rising from the ashes. I wiped my nose. I'm done talking about her. I nodded. 
He was silent for a moment, looking out over the ocean. His hair looked dusty in the afternoon sun. I don't know what to do with the sadness, he said finally, sighing. I looked up at him, surprised at his directness. Why do you keep talking about it, then? I was too worn out even to get angry. I don't know what else to do, he shrugged. I have all these hard feelings inside, and I thought talking about them might help. And I don't want to forget Angel. I'm scared that if we don't talk about her, it'll be like she never existed. I nodded warily. I had my own hard feelings that I didn't know what to do with. They sat like a pile of rocks in my stomach, building and building. You're the strongest person I know, Max, said Dylan. Yeah. I picked up my nails, thinking about my meltdown. I had never been very good at receiving compliments, especially ones that seemed heartfelt. Seriously, I'm learning how to be strong just from watching you. Dylan put his hands on my shoulders. But I know not everyone can be strong all the time. I just wanted to tell you that if you ever need to not be strong, you can lean on me. I can be strong enough for both of us. For a while, at least. He gave a slight grin. Dylan looked into my eyes with such naked trust I had to look away. Below, the wave smashed into rocks, spraying a cool mist over everything. I felt goosebumps rise on my arms. Feng had always had my back. That is, until he didn't. He didn't have to say it aloud. I'd known it anyway. Dylan was so different. It was like he didn't know how to be guarded. His emotions were raw, on the surface for everyone to see, and the sarcastic wall that had protected me so efficiently in the past was slowly crumbling in the face of his honesty. I felt vulnerable, exposed, so out of my element. I shifted uncomfortably. Can we fly now? I asked, my throat dry. Dylan smiled, his face lighting up, his eyes crinkling at the corners. He stuck the motorcycle's keys under its seat and took my hand, and we climbed up onto the guardrail. I took a deep breath, and together, we jumped off. Chapter 11 Thick, heavy clouds had rolled in, blocking the sun, and it felt like Dylan and I were the only two people on Earth. Our wings took us high over the water, up and up until the cars on the highway looked like shiny beetles, bustling to and fro. We wheeled freely through the air, no destination in mind, copying the gulls, seeing dark schools of fish in the water below. My chest expanded again, after being all crumpled up from crying. I felt my heart beating hard, like the cool misting into my skin, and I felt fresh and alive, and somehow lighter, like I dropped some of those hard, heavy rocks I'd been carrying around. Dylan was good for me in some ways, I had to admit. What? He asked raising his voice over the wind. What, what? You were sort of smiling. I shook my head. I don't know why. You know, Max, he said after a few more minutes. We'd slowly turned in a huge circle and begun to head toward home. I looked at him, eyebrows raised. You know I love you. I almost dropped right out of the sky. I literally forgot to flop my wings for a couple seconds and plummeted about 15 feet before they started working on their own. I know you were programmed to love me, I said cautiously, rising back level with Dylan. Maybe I was, he said. I don't know. I just know I do. And I know that love has to go both ways. You might not love me now, but I hope you will, in time. 
I can wait. I'm not going anywhere. I said nothing, and we flew together wordlessly, higher and higher, as if we could touch the sky. Chapter 12 There were no days. There were no nights. There were tubes and bright lights and indistinct voices. And pain. Always, always pain. When Angel was finally put into a kennel, she whimpered with relief. This had to be better than the crisp white sheets, the stretcher that meant scalpels and mask and gloved hands always reaching for her. She shuddered violently, thinking of those hands, and shrank into herself. She never wanted to be touched again. The kennel was meant for a large dog, but Angel still couldn't sit upright in it. She felt around the cage, her hands brushing against the cool metal bars. She searched for a water bottle. Her throat was sore from the feeding tube. She winced as she shifted her small body in the cramped space. She was covered with bruises, and her healing wounds stung. Angel could hear muffled voices in the hallway, echoes of footfall on the linoleum floor, the squeak of rolling wheels, seemingly innocuous sounds that now haunted her dreams. But she didn't cry out. She was way past that. Help! She'd shrieked at first, for days it seemed, as loud as she could. And later, when it was clear no help was coming, she had only croaked, Why? As they probed and prodded, her voice a thin, wheezy rasp. But there were no answers, so she had stopped asking. Angel had always felt stronger and more capable than everyone, well, than Max, thought she was. But in the end, she was still just a little kid, with bones that could snap and a heart that could break. She was broken and totally alone. A long, silent sob trapped in her chest, Angel curled on the thin towel in the corner of the kennel and went to sleep. Wake up! A voice barked after what had seemed only moments. So, it wasn't over, then. Her heart raced in time to the familiar fear, the dread that made her whole body quiver, but Angel resisted. For several long, delicious moments, she allowed herself to indulge in the fantasy that it was Max calling her to wake. Even if they were on the run, even if Max was being bossy, even if, well, anything would be better than the reality she would find when she opened her eyes. Wake up. There's no sense pretending. Your brainwaves show you're awake. Her blue eyes fluttered open just as a bucket of icy water was dumped on her head. Gasping, Angel scrambled farther into her corner, but she was a trapped animal, and she knew it. The back of her head stung unbearably from the icy water, and she tentatively touched it with her fingers. A small section of hair had been shaved, and a neat line of small stitches made tiny ridges under her fingers. They'd operated on her brain. A pitiful cry escaped her lips. Max! Angel thought frantically, overwhelmed with horror. Max! Help! Chapter 13 Look here, the voice commanded. Pay attention. Angel blinked water out of her eyes and squeezed her hair, feeling chilly rivulets trickling down her back. Outside her crate, the room went dark. Angel saw extremely well in the dark, but then a lit screen flickered on, several feet away. She saw a young child, a boy, with pale, almost white hair. He was lying on a table, very still, covered with a sheet. A crisp, white, sterile sheet. Angel shuddered involuntarily, the wounds on her body aching in response to the image. The camera panned down to look on the boy, and Angel saw that he was in an operating room. 
He had a mask over his nose and mouth, and his eyes were clamped open. Angel recognized the look in them. It was a feeling she knew well. Pure, undiluted terror. Angel felt an icy coldness in her temples as the view zoomed in. There, on the boy's neck, was the trio of freckles, right where she knew they'd be. Iggy. It was Iggy as a little kid. Before. Angel swallowed hard. Her eyes trained on the large screen, as gowned and masked doctors came in and shone spotlights onto Iggy's operating table. One doctor, his eyes hidden behind large magnifying glasses, spoke directly to the camera. Today, we're experimenting with a new technique, only recently developed. It involves a surgical stimulation of a certain area of the rods and cones in the backs of this hybrid's eyes. We estimate the subject will have its night vision improved by at least 400%. Then, Iggy's panicked blue eyes filled the screen. Angel shook her head, horrified. She couldn't watch. They weren't really going to make her watch. But the video continued, and she couldn't look away. She stared as the scalpel found its mark and plunged in, as if slicing a boiled egg. As tweezers pinched and needles probed, and blood pooled and tubes suctioned it away. As they hacked into him, like butchers. She listened as Eggy's agonized moans grew more and more frenzied. They sounded visceral, verging on madness. Louder and louder and louder. He was awake. The whole time. Angel shrank back into her crate and squeezed her own eyes shut, the screams echoing in her ears. She had just seen a film of the crazy white coats at the school making Iggy blind. No! She wailed, her voice joining Iggy's. No, 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 no! The movie flickered to a stop, and the room's lights came back on. That was thirteen years ago, someone said from out of view. The techniques were unbelievably primitive which no doubt caused the less-than-optimum results. The techniques were unbelievably primitive, which no doubt caused the less-than-optimum results. Less-than-optimum? Angel thought with rising hysteria. You mean the total blindness? That result? Once again, she tried to hack into someone's brain. The brain of even one person in this awful torture chamber. But it was like the room itself had a dampening field. She hadn't been able to read a single thought the entire time she'd been there. But you see, Angel, the voice went on smoothly, we've made tremendous progress since then. Those were the days of cavemen. The science, the technique, has vastly improved. This time, it will go beautifully. No, Angel whispered again, her adrenaline surging and making her voice seem small, fuzzy. No, please. One gloved hand reached for the door of her crate. This time... They would operate on Angel. On her eyes. Chapter 14 Ari, what are you talking about? Fang said. We're on the same side, remember? You saved Max. Times change. Ari smiled again and looked down the side of his missile launcher, as if gauging how far away Fang was. Fang shifted his weight, primed to leap. Having the same goal doesn't mean we're on the same side. What? Fang began, but he was cut off by a chorus of deep growls. Four more thugs climbed out of the truck to stand behind Ari, looking like a row of college linebackers. The resemblance to Ari was freakish, surreal. They had the same glint in their eyes, the same unnatural, stretched-out features, the same wolfish undertones. Clones? 
or just well-made copies. Fang didn't want to stick around long enough to find out. Fang? Who are they? Star hissed. She was standing beside Kate, her face even tenser than usual, and Holden was right behind them. Ratchet was glowering at these ugly strangers, smacking the tire iron against his palm. Maya stood silently at Fang's left wing. Fang remembered that she knew Ari. Erasers. Fang answered quietly. Human-wolf hybrids. Except they're supposed to be extinct. So how was Ari alive? And more important, why was he suddenly evil again? Maya met Fang's eyes. Fight or flight? Enough talking, Ari said, almost lazily. Let's play a game. Fight. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximarian bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your Olive at Marky, and we got a couple messages this week on the Spotify Q&A thing. Uh, the first one is from Emily, who said, I have a suggestion. Can the intro song for Maximum Ride Forever be AI by Red or Erase Rewind by the Cardigans? So I listened to both of these. And Erase Rewind isn't quite what I'm looking for for this. I try to keep it fairly upbeat just because I feel like that makes a good intro. Um, so that one may not, may not be good. AI sounded like it'd be really good for Hawk, actually. So if you don't mind, I think I'm going to save it for Hawk. But that one slapped really hard. That's the kind of music that I really, really like to listen to. So it's been added to my normal like playlist rotation. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. But, uh, yes, I will find something for Maximum Ride Forever. We have around three months to get there, so no worries. Um, if you have other suggestions, let me know. I try to, I try to match the music to what goes on in the books, so we'll see if I can find something with that vibe, or if anyone else has another suggestion, uh, let me know. And no hard feelings if I don't use your music. I just, you know, there's a certain vibe that I want for this. But no, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Emily. Uh, the second one is from Axolotl, who said, Wait, WTF, Ari's alive? Oh boy, yeah, no, that's how I felt too. I completely forgot about the Ari clone army in this book. Oh boy, there's a lot going on there. Please, please let the poor boy rest. He's been through so much. <laughs> Why do they keep doing this? Alright, with that, let's move on to the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the book Red Rising by Pierce Brown. So, AK actually recommended this one in a comment a few weeks ago, and I am obsessed. So, this book is about a... it sounds like a, like a far-flung, like, sci-fi, like, way, 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 way in the future type of series, and... Society is ruled by a cast of colors, with red being the lowest cast there can possibly be, and gold being the highest, with all sorts of colors in between, like silvers, bronzes, I think there's indigos, blues, pinks, browns, all sorts of colors, and each one has like a specific role in society. Reds, like Darrow, are working in the mines all day long on Mars to dig up precious materials and just basically set the planet up for terraforming in the future so that one day, like, his kids or his kids' kids will have a really good life there. But he finds out that they had already terraformed Mars, like, forever ago. Like, he sees cities and gardens and, like, people running around. 
and basically learns that they're kind of just slaving away just to, like, cushion the upper societies. So as an act of revenge for something that I will not get into because it is major spoilers, uh, Daro infiltrates something called the Institute, which is a kind of school competition uh, for golds where the like most promising class of golds uh, like fight in like a struggle war for power. So to fit into there, he has to pretend to be a gold and it's it's so peak. It's been compared to The Hunger Games by Susan Collins and Inner Game by Orson Scott Card. I've read The Hunger Games and it does feel incredibly similar. I have not read Ender's Game, so I can't vouch for that. But it does also kind of remind me of, in a way, 1984, just because of the world building they do. There's a lot of different, like, lingo and stuff and things that, like, Reds aren't supposed to talk about, which kind of reminds me of that. It's just overall incredibly good. Like, I'm 60% through the audiobook, and I am I have not been able to put it down. I had a six-hour car ride, and it was super peak for that. It is really long. The audiobook is 11 hours long. So if you're looking for something long, have a long car ride, long flight or something coming up, definitely recommend it for that. But I didn't know it's a series, apparently, so I'm very, very excited to see what happens next. But yeah, that is... Oh, actually, I forgot. There are uh, some trigger warnings I feel like I should add. A little bit similar to The Hunger Games, like descriptions of like fighting and blood. There was one scene that I in particular enjoyed that was like an extended uh, like medical surgery type thing. It didn't go too much into detail, but if you're sensitive to like medical situations, that may not be for you. There are mentions of sexual assault. None of it happens on screen, to my knowledge, but uh, there is a theme of that for about 15% of the book towards the middle. So, trigger warning for that. Um, other than that, I am really enjoying this book, and I'm super excited to finish it. So that is the book Red Rising by Pierce Brown, and I will leave a link in the show notes to where you can find that. If you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. And if you want to leave a rating review, that would be super cool of you to do. Alrighty, that's all I got to say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. <laughs>